First Timothy, as you know, the Apostle Paul is writing to his protege, uh, the, uh, the young man Timothy. He is being called to preach. And uh, several, uh, several indicators that Timothy may have been given over to some fear and uh, concern, obviously, of, the, uh, of his own safety uh, for preaching the gospel. And so you'll find in both the first and the book of Second Timothy a lot of encouragement uh, given to this young preacher. And, uh, and you'll find here it starts in verse 18 with this phrase here, this charge. And so we're going to come back to that and circle around on why he said that. Verse 18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We thank you for the reading of your word. It is the word of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, this morning that we've been given an alertness of mind and heart to pay close attention to these words. They're eternal words. And I pray for the warning given in this scripture for all of us to take heed. Guide us and direct us to truth. If there's one here today uh, that is questioning where they're going to go if they were to die, that they would get saved before it's eternally too late. And Lord, for the one perhaps that is uh, suffering right now from maybe a decision that they've made, a besetting sin that has come back, uh, Lord, you guide and help and, and, uh, and bless. And may, Lord, they avoid what is going to be spoken about today. And give us grace to receive what you would have for us to receive. Holy Spirit, empower me to preach. Loosen my lips and use this feeble mind and heart, Lord, to bring forth the words of life. And I pray our ears and our hearts will be arrested with what you're going to give us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, avoiding, avoiding spiritual shipwreck is the title of the lesson today. And uh, it is uh, obviously something that the Apostle Paul felt very necessary under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to pen these words uh, to Timothy. Uh, last summer, my wife and I and the kids got a chance to take a couple of days, and we went up to up the Upper Peninsula and uh, got a chance actually to lead uh, her uncle to Christ, an ex-Navy SEAL, uh, while we were up there and uh, stopped by and see, saw him and, and uh, a Navy SEAL, did some uh, operations down in Columbia and, uh, and suffers from PTSD and uh, and uh, Todd got saved, and I praise God for that very profitable trip, for that blessing that uh, even uh, Russ has witnessed to him, and Jamie witnessed to him for years, and, and boy, he was wide open to the gospel and uh, accepted the Lord. And, uh, but while we were up there, we went up to a place called Whitefish Point, and uh, Roger Lenhart actually uh, invited us, or actually told us to go up there. Uh, it is quite a drive. You just keep driving and driving and driving, and you drive and drive until the end of the world comes, and then you drive more. Uh, and so Lake Superior opens up. It's just absolutely beautiful. And uh, went up to this place called Whitefish Point. It is a place where there's a lighthouse. There's a museum of all the shipwrecks that uh, have occurred uh, throughout the years. And there's all the artifacts of those ships there. The Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, some of the artifacts, some of the uh, par- parts of the ship are in that museum. It's actually a uh, very insightful. I, I don't know if uh, uh, everyone is w- going to like that drive to do that, but it's very interesting to see 
the danger of those particular waters. And they say some of the most challenging waters to sail and, and ship on are, are the Great Lakes, and they're very challenging. Uh, and so a lot of uh, large ships lay under the water up there. Uh, and so introduced again to those shipwrecks up there, and one of the most famous uh, shipwrecks, at least in the last century, was the uh, sinking of the Titanic. Amazing uh, story as on April 10th, 1912, uh, she left her birthplace there in Southampton, uh, England. It's her maiden voyage, and uh, people paid thousands of dollars in 1912 to uh, be on this maiden voyage. And it's interesting as you look at what happened uh, in their attitude uh, to this ship. And uh, one reporter said that not even God uh, could sink this ship. And, uh, and so carrying about uh, 2,000, uh, 2,800, actually 2,228 passengers, uh, it was, there was a ship of ships in that age. It was over 800 feet long. It was powerful. It was huge compared to the other ships uh, of, of, her, uh, of, her, uh, of her time. But four days into the voyage, on May 14th, 1912, there was a warning that came uh, to the captain of the ship that there were large icebergs in the area. And uh, some of the other ships were actually communicating with the Titanic to let her know also that there are multiple sightings of some, uh, some icebergs. Uh, but the, uh, the warning, as uh, history unfolds, was ignored by uh, the crew. It was ignored by uh, the captain. And she maintained a heading to New York. There was no evidence that the Titanic changed uh, direction. But at 11.40 p.m. that evening, the Titanic did strike an iceberg. And as you know, it cut a hole in the side of that ship, ripping her open like a a sardine can. And and within three hours, that ship would be at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean with over 1,523 passengers with her, all dead at the bottom of the sea. Only 705 actually lived uh, to, uh, to tell about it. Uh, but most people would agree that that tragedy was a mixture of a lot of things that just went wrong. Uh, they, uh, they lay it at the feet of negligence. They lay it at the feet of apathy, uh, thinking that it cannot sink. Uh, they laid it at the feet of greed and even pride uh, and incompetence. Uh, some of the, uh, the rescue boats that were on that ship were fastened to the ship and that could not easily be moved and lowered into the water. But since the steps were not taken, the tragic loss happened, and that night in North Atlantic, under that cold, snowy, uh, icy waters, perished over 1,523 people. Horrible thing that took place there. Uh, But you'll find here that the record that shows that many throughout uh, history have gone out to seas never to have returned. And there is physical shipwrecks. But the Bible uses this interesting phrase here in verse number 20 that I think is good. Uh, Verse 19 is good for us to kind of zero in. Why did he use this word? In verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So the Apostle Paul uses a nautical term here, this word shipwreck. And most of us in this room are, are never going to be involved in a, in a ship at sea, in a wreck at sea. But uh, there is a possibility we could suffer something like this. A physical, rather spiritual shipwreck. And so number one on this point, on this thought, is this. Is that there is a warning given in this passage that we are also 
susceptible to shipwreck, spiritual shipwreck. And that's why there's a charge here given to Timothy in verse 18. uh, And you'll find this warning given to him about what happened to two people by the name of verse 20, Hymenius and Alexander. Very interesting names, by the way. And as you note, what happened to these guys, the shipwreck is a nautical term. It is, it is uh, as you know, what Paul would have been familiar with. Uh, according to his own testimony, Paul suffered three shipwrecks. Uh, we know of one in the book of Acts where uh, 260 were on board. And that shipwreck, the whole ship was destroyed. But all 260 that were on board that ship going to Rome actually lived. There's no indication after that there was another shipwreck, but Paul suffered at least two other shipwrecks in his ministry. And I don't know, there's no given, no, no numbers given if anyone lost their lives or uh, anyone perished there in those other two shipwrecks. But we do know this because the word ship has wreck in it. The ship was wrecked. Now, that's profound, isn't it? I mean, that, you, could, you could leave right here and say, Pastor, I've been fed. Uh, but uh, the ship was wrecked. Uh, and so the ship was not going to get to its destination. It, 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 it wasn't going to finish what it was set out to do. And I would say this, as you look at this, sometimes ships sink. I mean, they sink because they're perhaps uh, overloaded. I, I think about the Edmund Fitzgerald loaded with iron ore, but not overloaded with iron ore. And they were trying to uh, surmise and piece together what happened with the Edmund Fitzgerald. And, and they do believe that the uh, November winds and uh, begin to ki- uh, kick up and the waves begin to come over the side of that, uh, of that ship. And the tops of those, if you would, containers that, that were to be locked down were perhaps not. And the water was coming in. And the captain was saying that we are taking on water. And, of course, the Edmund Fitzgerald didn't have a lot of time to even set out. And SOS, it was just gone. And so we know here that shipwrecks come because of perhaps they're just overloaded. Uh, there's some that are simply uh, colliding with another ship out there uh, in the middle of the ocean. There's sink, uh, some that sink because of just adverse conditions. They didn't think that there was going to be a storm, but it came. Some ships are wrecked because they are just negligent. The captain made some bad decisions. There's bad equipment uh, on the ship. And you can just go through a list of why ships wreck. But all of those on ships that have ever wrecked out at sea, all of those people are in grave danger when that happens. Listen, we're not designed to swim. (laughs) Not long. And we're not designed to swim in cold waters if it happens over icy cold waters. Not long. Minutes. And so when a ship wrecks, there's not a lot of time. It is, it is crucial. It is crucial that they, re- they get rescued. And so shipwreck, a, a life, so to speak, being shipwrecked, sometimes can happen without notice. Sometimes it happens actually very slow. But the Bible is declaring that there is a possibility that we could have spiritual shipwreck. Marriages, ladies and gentlemen, can come under spiritual shipwreck. Churches have become shipwrecked. Uh, We know that countries, our country right now is heading for shipwreck. Families across our nation have had spiritual uh, shipwreck. Uh, Pastors and uh, missionaries uh, that uh, are on the field and pastors behind pulpits can become shipwrecks. 
And so our text here, as I already mentioned, Paul calls out two of these men that have been shipwrecked. Hymenius and the other one is Alexander. In fact, verse 20 says their names there. Now, we don't know much about these men. But we do know that they became a problem for the Apostle Paul. We do know that they were a problem to the New Testament church. They were a problem to themselves. In fact, if you want to just hang it right there and go to the book of 2 Timothy, you're in 1 Timothy, go to this book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. And note here in verse number 16. Verse 14 would be uh, good for us to look at. Look what it says here. Of these things, put them in remembrance... Listen to this, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of hearers. Now, I don't want to really work through this too much, but there are some people that will strive, strive or fight not about. And it says here that we do, don't do this, uh, charging them before the Lord that they strive not. Don't do this, he says, strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Now, it says, uh, verse 15 is a very famous verse that we use uh, frequently around here. Study to show thyself approved unto God. <laughs> you know, uh, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's one of the core uh, verses in our discipleship material. Study, study, study. Why? Because there is the possibility of having um, your hearing sub- able to subvert or change you. Hearing, and it says here in verse number 16, but shun profane and vain babblings. Uh, babblings, the word babble comes from that word babble, babbling. It's, just me, it's, it's like when a baby talks, tries to talk, can't talk, it doesn't, is not able to put words together. Babble, baby babble. Vain babbling is meaningless speech. And it says here, shun that. Don't listen to that. For they will increase unto more what? Ungodliness. Vain babbling will increase unto more ungodliness. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me if you would. Their word, whose word? These people that speak babbling, if you would. Their word will eat at doth a canker of whom Hymenius and Philetus. Of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. So here's another guy mentioned with Hymenius, this guy Philetus. Another, uh, another cohort, if you would, with Hymenius. But his name is mentioned here. Hymenius. He is a guy that would increase on the more ungodliness. Here is a guy that had words that eat as doth a canker, a canker, an infection in your mouth, uh, a skin disorder. Some of you understand what gangrene is, where you could uh, have your skin actually rot on your body. It's a horrible thing. Some of you that are in the nursing uh, field, you understand what gangrene is. You walk into one room that has a patient that has gangrene. Everyone knows in the room what is happening. The body is decaying. And so what words do, the subverting of hearers, vain babbling will increase unto more ungodliness and their word will do the same thing as gangrene or as a canker. It eats you away. You all with me this morning? So this is what Hymenius was. Hymenius was one of those guys that he used words to subvert hearers. He's a dangerous guy. He goes on to say in verse number 18, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Now, it's one thing if someone is a danger to themselves. That's one thing. But it's an entirely different issue 
when they became a, become a danger to someone else. And so what their words are going to do is actually overthrow the faith of some, someone else. That's a, that's a dangerous thing. Watch this. You realize if you're saved today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can never lose that. And we ought to thank God for that. Once you're saved, you can never lose that salvation. You didn't do anything to get it. <laughs> Jesus paid all that. All you did is accept what he gave you 2,000 years ago, the gift of eternal life. Praise God for that. But as believers, our faith is vulnerable. Not our salvation, but our faith. In fact, a military term is used in verse 18 where the faith of some has been overthrown. Overthrown. A military term. Defeated, if you would. Faith is gone. Their salvation is intact, but they no longer have faith. Yes, it can happen. Yes, it is dangerous. So that's what Hymenius was. He was a man that used words. He was a man that subverted hearers. Now, this other guy, Alexander, look here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. Let's get a little bit more insight to this dude. All right? Dude somewhere in the Bible. I'm just using a biblical word. All right? All right. Just trying to keep the young people awake. All right? Verse number 14. All right. Alexander the coppersmith. Okay, so that gives his occupation. We know this guy works with metal. Uh, He is a coppersmith. And it says here, did me, the apostle Paul is writing here, did me what? Much. This guy is a problem, man. Alexander was one of those guys that just would not leave Paul alone. Okay. Paul's phone would light up with guys like Alexander. I mean, I didn't like what you preached this morning, Paul. I can't believe you even spoke this morning to the congregation. That's the kind of Alexander. He's he's a problem guy. He is the guy that goes out in the parking lot and gets four or five other families and say, did you hear? He did much evil. Alexander stirs up problems. Alexander, the kind of guy here, is a guy that doesn't doesn't stand for right. He just stirs everything up. We can have women Alexanders, men Alexanders. Alexanders are problem people. And it says in verse 4, did me, Paul, much evil. Now watch this phrase here. And the Lord reward him according to his works. How many understand Paul probably didn't really mean that he was going to really be rewarded in a good way? Yeah, well, he is going to get what he has coming. It's, it's clear. Paul's going to, Paul said, Lord's going to reward him. God's going to take care of him. He's done me much evil. Paul, by the way, is a tough guy. Paul has suffered shipwreck three times. Paul has had stripes laid across his back. Paul has been in journeys often. He has been in peril in the sea, peril in the land. You can go through a list of things that Paul has gone through. And Paul, if he said that this guy has caused me much evil, you understand, this guy is not a light pastor. This guy is tough. So whatever Alexander the coppersmith did was something that Paul had to mention, and he gave it over to the Lord, he does, he does something else, and I'll show what that is in here in a little bit. But here are these two men. They're mentioned as having had their faith overthrown. They have become shipwrecked. Now, pop back there, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Are you all with me so far? Now, I think, no doubt in this room, and if you're online watching, uh, you know a person or person who used to walk with the Lord. They used to have a good uh, testimony 
and now they are shipwrecked. Their, their, their lives are a wreck. They are, they are destroyed. Uh, their faith is gone. They used to serve God. They used to give. Uh, they used to teach a Sunday school class. They used to preach behind pulpits. They used to be pastors. They used to witness. They used to live a separated life. They used to believe the Bible. But we have the possibility that some can have their faith made shipwreck. It's what it says in verse 19. Concerning faith have made shipwreck. What's that mean? They've done it to themselves. So. Spiritual shipwrecks are found all through the Bible. I mean wrecks. We hear the idea and the thought, boy, they just wrecked their life. And it happens. And what we need to remember this morning is that spiritual shipwrecks just don't happen accidentally. Let me say it again. Spiritual shipwrecks just don't happen accidentally. They just don't happen to someone else. Somewhere along the line, they ignored a warning. Somewhere along the line, someone said, hey, there is an iceberg ahead of you. Hey, there's a danger ahead of you. Hey, that friend is a a horrible influence on your life. Hey, I'm telling you, don't do this. Hey, get off that phone. Hey, don't get on that website. Hey, stop that. They, They had some warnings. And they came apathetic. They ignored the warnings. They became prideful. And they failed to deal, perhaps, with their very sin Maybe they got offended, but being made shipwreck can only happen, some people think, to someone else. It will never happen to me. No one in this room, no one in this room is immune from the possibility that you will fall sin and shipwreck your life. I say that with a broken heart. No family can ever say it cannot happen to me. Please don't scoff at the danger of becoming a shipwreck. The Apostle Paul even used the words, a nautical term, that I become a castaway. He was concerned about becoming shipwreck. And so the Bible is very clear when it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh, I like that word there, he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. So there needs to be, if you would, a measure of concern. And so, number one, there's a warning of spiritual shipwrecks. Number two, there is a reason. There is a reason. What happens? Look back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. What did you note here? Holding faith and a good conscience. There's two things right there that are good to have. Amen? Holding it, faith and a good conscience, which some having what? Now, That phrase right there has the idea of thrusting it or pushing it away. They put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So what is the reason for shipwreck? Why does this even happen? Because simply someone said, I don't need it anymore. I don't want it anymore. It is an intentional turning from truth to error. Intentional. In the case of Hymenaeus, it would appear, I think, he rejected the true teaching of faith that was embraced by, uh, by the, the church and, and by what, what the Apostle Paul was teaching. And he get some false doctrine of uh, questioning whether the resurrection is already passed. He started teaching that his word was eating at the, the canker. For him, it was simply, he following the wrong doctrine. For Alexander, 
He developed a critical spirit. He began to work against the things of the Lord. He began to bite. In fact, he started to devour the Apostle Paul himself. But both Alexander and Hymenaeus ended up pushing truth away. This process, by the way, uh, takes place within people of this church, of our church. It can happen. Say, Pastor, <laughs> no, no, listen. I'm, I'm mature. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man of faith. I'm a, I'm a woman of faith. I, I have my devotions every morning. I, I, and you may have all that. But listen, for whatever reason, some people who belong to good, solid, Bible-believing churches profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior can fall prey to pushing away truth in their lives. How does that happen? I think it can happen easily when church just becomes normal. I'm just going to go to church again. I'm just going to sit in my chair. Yo, yo, with me. And it throws me off. And I understand that. It just throws me crazy when people sit in different seats in the chair, in the seat. Because I don't know where you are. You're not supposed to be sitting over there. You're over there. But there's something to be said about sitting in a different place in the church. Are you all here? Bruce was telling me about this. Sometimes your mind just kind of just, you do the same thing. You sit in the same seat. Don't, don't do this all at one time because you'll just throw me into a tizzy. But I'm saying, but I'm saying when you're used to the same seat and you go to the same class to pick your baby up, you go to the car, you go to your parking place, and it just becomes almost routine, doesn't it? It's just normal. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we just get in ruts. And a rut, as one preacher said, is a grave with the holes of the ends knocked out. When spirituality, how does someone put away faith? When spirituality is measured by comparing yourself with others. Well, I'm bad. I know. I'm horrible. But I know that person's worse than me. You know. And I know, honey, we've had some spats, but I know that Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, their marriage is about to fall apart, so we, we're pretty good. Listen, watch this. When we begin to compare our spirituality with someone else's, you're throwing faith away. You're not developing in your faith. You're comparing your spirit. That's a dangerous thing to do. When your spirituality, listen to this, is measured by your works, well, I scrape the sidewalks and I pass out bulletins and I serve here and I work in the nursery here and I change the light bulbs here and I swept the carpet here and I do this and I do that and I give this out and I gave this and I work this gift. And we just, uh, if you would, a list of all these works that we've done and we measure our spirituality by our works. God's not impressed with your works or your gifts. <laughs> when he doesn't have your heart. He'd much rather have your heart than all your gifts and all your time and all your works. How does someone put away faith? Well, when their fellowship with God's people becomes more important, listen, than communion with God. Ah, nothing wrong with fellowship. I love fellowship. I do. We're living in a weird, weird time. We can't see each other's faces when we were out in public. I came in Menards. I was walking up behind the guy. I got within five and a half feet. And he turned around and looked at me. I'm like, oh, I got to get behind my line. 
We're weird, man. We're getting crazy out there. People are social distancing. You can't see each other's faces. And I understand medical. It's, it's necessary at this time. But I'm just saying we are getting strange. And when we come together, we fellowship. We see each other's faces. We love, we love the fellowship with God's people. I'm saying this. That's precious. That is awesome. But when our fellowship with God's people is more important than our communion with God, you're putting away your faith. Don't, don't, don't tell me that you just love God's people, but you're not loving time with your God. When the church becomes just work, when the church just becomes duty, we're moving from truth to error. And it's, by the way, not in an instant. Sometimes it is. But most shipwrecks happen gradually, almost as if you didn't know it was happening. No one wakes up tomorrow morning and say, you know what, honey, I got an idea. Let's just shipwreck our whole family. <laughs> Let's just destroy our lives today. I mean, this is going to be great. We'll watch the planks of the ship get wrecked by the waves. We'll watch our kids cry as they're cast into the sea. What do you think, honey? Let's... No, no one does that. However, it does happen, and it happens subtly. We fall away. We allow sin We allow sin to go unchallenged in our life. We make excuses for what we say. A good thing for you and I to do is always listen to ourselves. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You can't know your heart, but you can know your heart when your your heart begins to speak. You know there's something bad down there that's desperately wicked. And you know there's something down there that needs to come out. Occasionally, once in a while, my wife will hear one of the army terms that I used. She goes, where'd that come from? I said, I don't know. (laughs) And I said, wow, I didn't know that was down there. I'm saying this tonight, ladies and gentlemen, today, today, is that we need to be careful that we don't think that we can fall prey to being shipwrecked. We can put away our faith. And we fall away when we seek to rationalize our sinfulness condition. We seek to rationalize our backslidden condition. And when we begin to allow ourselves, if you would, a loophole, we start to throw it away. Backsliding always begins very subtly. A movement away from God, one step at a time. Almost imperceivable. Before long, the backslider is miles off course. It's a dangerous Dangerous place to be. Sometimes tragedy comes when ships are just allowed to drift. But when you get to tolerating the, your life, you, you need to let things go. And here's a question I think we ought to ask ourselves. Where have I slacked up? What have I ceased to do in my life? What have I not allowed to be good in my life? What have I allowed to be an influence in my life? Sometimes we need, you're going to hear this this summer. uh, We're going to have a spiritual warfare conference with Brother Marvin Smith from Iowa. And one of the biggest problems that people have in spiritual warfare is a failure to turn off the spigot. What does that mean? You don't shut the source off. The source of your sin. It keeps coming in. And there needs to be, if you would, a purposed uh, effort to say no to that and no to this. We're not letting that in anymore. And you'll, you'll enjoy the conference. That's this summer. 
putting away faith. The second reason for spiritual shipwreck is turning aside. I don't have time to develop this thought, but if you wanted to study this later, you can. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, and you can actually add verse 7 in there too. Basically, is this, is that when, when there is... When there is a ignoring of truth, there can be a swaying or a turning away from it. It's an interesting study. You can study that later. But number one, number one, the warning of spiritual shipwrecks all through the Bible. Number two, there's a reason for it. Number three, now this is where it gets interesting. There is a result. All sin has consequences. All decisions that we have have consequences. Um, there is the principle, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also what? Reap. Now, if you sow love, you reap what? So whatsoever. So if you sow grace, you reap what? Grace. If you sow joy, you reap joy. That's a principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow hate, you reap hate. If you sow jealousy, you reap jealousy. If you sow bitterness, you with me? You reap bitterness. So in other words, whatever you sow, it's going to be. And by the way, the reaping process is 10 to 20 times more than the sowing process. You put a, a seed in the ground and, and just let it germinate and let it sprout. And before long, you have several ears of corn with one kernel of corn. So the, the process of reaping is much more than the process of sowing. Y'all got that principle? So the result of spiritual shipwrecks, this is where we have to be careful that we don't just miss these verses because these are powerful. Look, if you would, in verse 20 again. 1 Timothy 1.20, of whom is Hymenius? Listen online. Listen, don't go to, stay, stay in your computer, wherever you're watching. I have to say that to keep him awake. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander? Whom I have what? Delivered unto Satan. Now, for those two men, it seems to have got to the point where Paul says, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm not going to deal with these two men anymore. Hymenius and Alexander. Alexander has caused me much evil. Hymenius is teaching the resurrection. He's overthrowing the faith of some. He's influencing others. He says, I'm going to turn, Paul says, I, not God, I, he says, have delivered unto Satan. Powerful statement. Now, we don't read this much, do we? We just kind of read over this. I don't know what that means, but I think it's whatever it is. This is a, this is a horrible consequence for being shipwrecked. Now, this kind of punishment in the Bible is only seen two times in the New Testament. Two times. So I think it's worthy for us to say, what is this? How could the Apostle Paul have the authority to turn someone over to Satan? How could he do that? Why would he do that? This is, I think, the most extreme punishment available For someone has gone away from the Lord. In effect, here's what it's doing. There's a whole concept here that 
There's a wonderful protective umbrella that God gives under his authority. I I know this to be true through just studying the scripture. When you step out of that umbrella, there's no longer protection. Let me give you a point on this. When the prodigal son left the father's house, the father did not go out to get the prodigal son home. He did not follow the prodigal son to find out what he was going to do. He stayed at home. The prodigal son took everything that was his and went into the far country. The Bible says, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So he spent it all. And he said to himself, wow, I better get get some shelter or some food. So he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And the man that uh, hired him said, the only food I'm going to give you is the food that's left over that the hogs will not eat. You can have that food. So he goes out to feed the hogs. He's getting maybe morsels of corn out of the out of the hogs and you can imagine the fight that would be trying to wrestle from a hog a morsel of corn you understand that this is a wrestling match just to get a corn y'all here and then he finally says um how many hired servants did my fathers have bread enough and to spare and i hunger i perish with hunger i will rise and go to my father and will say unto my father i have sinned against heaven before thee and i'm no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired Servants, it's Luke 15. He arose, went back to his father. Very interesting statement that his father makes to the elder son. This, my son, watch, was lost and is found. Remember what the servant said to the elder son. Your, your younger son has been found. He is safe. He, the indication, he was not safe in the far country. He was, however, safe in the father's house. Y'all hear? Indicating that there is an umbrella of protection inside a family. There's an umbrella of protection inside the body of a church. There's an umbrella of protection, if you want, under that authority that God has set up. Stepping out of that authority is stepping out into danger zone. Y'all hear? This is a powerful Scriptural principle, you can follow this all through the Bible. But something happens here that Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I both believe were believers, they just, you could not reason with them. In other words, to come to Alexander, say, Alexander, listen, what you're saying is hurting me. I don't care. There's no talking to Alexander. If you sat down with Hymenaeus and you brought another witness and say, listen, you're teaching things that are not true. Your words are eating as a, ha- a canker. You're destroying, you're overthrowing. I don't care. Okay. So it gets to the point where I'm just going to give it over. Now, listen to this. Not to God. I'm going to give them over to Satan. Now, think about this. According to verse 20. If this happens, that they, last part of that verse, look at this phrase here, that they may what? Learn not to blaspheme. That means Satan is a professor. He's a teacher in the wrong way. In other words, the only way some can learn is the hard way. Talk about having To learn the hard way. This is hard. 
say, Pastor, okay, you said it was two times in the Bible. Look, 1 Corinthians 5. I'll give you one more. This is the same, almost the same phrase used in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Watch what it says here. And I'm going to ask you a question a little bit here, a rhetorical question, but I want you to get this. 1 Corinthians 5, we're almost finished. How many are doing okay? All right, 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 1. Again, the church of Corinth had some problems. Talk about problem, church. This was one of them. It is reported. (laughs) It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. He said, wow. He said, you know what I heard? Paul. I heard some things that are happening in that church that even the Gentiles, in verse 2 it says here, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned <laughs> that, this had, that, that he had done this deed might be taken away from among you. Watch this. Something's happening in this church. Some guy's having his father's wife. This is wickedness. The people in the church are looking the other way. No one's saying anything. This, by the way, is a bad situation. Church is not doing anything. Watch, if you would, in verse number 3. For verily I... Uh, verse number four, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse five, to what? Are you all here? To deliver such an one unto who? Satan. For the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Wow. Is it possible that the only way that some are going to learn is the hard way? Where they're given over to the devil, not to, listen, not to lose their salvation. Praise God, we can't lose that. But to have their flesh destroyed for Hymenaeus and Alexander to learn not to blaspheme. Now, what could Satan possibly do to me? Hmm. I'll answer that with this, this quote, this statement. Anything God allows. Anything. And I reference Job chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, where Satan was given permission, not that Job was backslidden, it was initiated by God, but you'll find some very interesting doctrinal issues in chapter 1, 2, and 3 of Job, where Satan was allowed to inflict Job's health. He was allowed to take Job's wealth. And even as horrible as it sounds, he was even allowed to take his children. It's a pastor. Yeah. So can I just say this as we go through this? If we are as arrogant To to say something like it can never happen to me, first of all, it's very arrogant to say. But the reason is very simple. You're putting away faith, but the results are devastating. Because it is a spiritual giving over until you learn. I think the easiest way to learn is through the Bible. Amen? And have wisdom through the scripture and discernment. I like learning the easy way. I don't like learning the hard way. Are you all here? I I don't like pain. Say, Pastor, you're a wimp. You're right. I just don't like pain. I didn't tell my wife this. I was up in the, up in the ladder and fixing a light, and, uh, and I thought the electric was off. Yeah. 
And she always says, make sure you turn the electric off. And I always do. But there was another line running into the box. I didn't know. And, yeah, I have a little bit of a glow to me today. Yeah, so I'm saying that I don't like pain. I don't like to be hurt. But I can't imagine the pain that comes when someone has been given over because they just won't listen. You can't talk to them. Okay. Satan. And by the way, I don't think Satan has a hard time doing that. I think he stands in line, so just give them over. Let me have them. I know I can't take their soul, but I can mess their lives up. You take their hand to your hand of protection. Remember, he said to God, he says, thou hast put a hedge about him. Take that hedge away. Let me come in there and I'll do something to him that I love to do. He's cruel. He's a hater. He's a murderer. So these two verses are, these will, you'll break your neck on those two verses. How does that happen? It does. Shipwreck always ends badly. And every person in this room needs to understand that we do not sin in a vacuum. Layers and layers and layers of consequences that come by being shipwrecked. Layers. Chastisement. If you're a believer, chastisement is assured. Death is a possibility. Your witness and your testimony gone. And the question I thought to myself this week is, is someone's present condition really worth all that? Is it really worth the loss that will come? Are you all here? Is it really worth it? Is that thing that you do worth being given over? Is it worth the immense spiritual cost attached to it? Is it worth not having any influence in your family? Is it worth the witness that you have? Is it worth all that? Is it worth your vows? Is it worth your life? And the answer is emphatically no. No, it's not worth it. But we don't think about it when we're taking on water and the ship starts to sink. So spiritual shipwrecks are warned. There are reasons. There are results. But the blessing as I close is that there is a way to avoid it. There really is. Say, Pastor, you're just uh, throwing us all under the railroad track. Yeah, you're right, in a sense. I'm warning you, but I'm saying this, that there is a remedy. If you look back real quick in 1 Timothy chapter 1, real quick, and we'll finish with these couple of thoughts and send you after the cold again. Look at verse number 1, uh, verse 18. Okay, this what? Charge. Okay, stop right there for a second. Paul lays out, I think, some steps here. Paul... Paul loved Timothy. Timothy was an upcoming preacher, right? Paul, I know this is going to, I'm transitioning, but stay with me. This charge is a military word. It refers to a superior officer telling a, a sergeant or a lieutenant, hey, do this. There's no questions. Just do this. This is a charge given to Timothy. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that he has a responsibility to obey. Listen to what I'm saying. That's a charge. Watch this. The Bible is our book of charge for us. Amen? We take our charging orders from God's word. Isn't that good? And so the point today, today is that the word of God needs to be submitted to. Whatever God says, that will I do. We have a duty to listen and carry out the orders that God gives us. 
Same is true for every believer. The first step in walking with God is simply seeking truth. Number two, number two. Interesting phrase in verse 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Listen to this phrase. According to the what? Prophecies, which went before on who? Okay, so can I say this? Timothy was a fulfillment of a prophecy, okay? Timothy was a fulfillment of something God wanted him to do. Now, let me just lay it down here. Do you realize this? I know our names are not in the Bible. I know we don't have any prophetical, but we do have this. We have some things that we generally are prophesied to do. If you wanted to really study this, John chapter 17, when the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for you, he prayed not by name, he prayed for you 2,000 years ago. It's an eternal prayer. It's a very interesting prayer. John chapter 17. But watch the phrase here. Listen to this. Fulfilling God's will for your life is a way to avoid shipwreck. Just fulfill God's will. He said here, according to the prophecies which went on before thee, Timothy, God's got something for you. God is going to do something with you. You're going to fulfill that. I mentioned this a couple of times, and I think through the years, you know my testimony. I have been a prodigal son. My life was a wreck, a total wreck, a rebellious boy, a rebellious boy. I got away from God. I went in the military so I could get away from rules and that didn't work well. <laughs> so made myself even worse there. I mean, the, the riotous living and all that, not glorying it at all. Misery. My mind has, has things that I'll never forget of what we've done. I remember coming home, uh, was working for my father. I'd be out till 3, 4 in the morning drinking. I'd be up at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning to, work, to lay block. And that's what we did. We, we, were, we were block masons and concrete guys. I remember coming in. I had no idea. I had a bar fight the night before. I had blood on my face. I didn't know it. And I came into the living room. And the kitchen, rather, my mom saw me. She looked at me, and she looked at me, and she said, with tears in her eyes, she said, God's got something special for you. My life was just a wreck. I put my head in the refrigerator, and I said to her, with honesty, God could never use me, Mom. Never. I had no idea. That God had a plan for my life like this? You could have never imagined if you would have saw my life at 21 and 22 years of age that I'd ever be behind a pulpit. People in New Jersey still think I'm going through a phase and I'll get over it one day. <laughs> they say that. He's just going through a phase. Well, don't wake me up. I'm, leaving. I'm really loving this phase. This is an awesome phase. Right. Amen. This is awesome. I have so much God has given me to him be glory and honor. But I will say this, that there is a prophecy, there is a will that God has for every one of you. It's, it's yours. It's God's plan for your life. Timothy, he said, I'm charging you by the prophecies that went on before you. God's got a plan for you. You, you need to get a hold of that. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You are purposed. And God's got a plan. Number three, real quick. Fight. I know the political world doesn't like that word anymore. 
We might incite something, all right? But verse 18, I'm not trying to get political this morning, but verse 18 says, watch this, that thou by them mightest war a what? Good warfare. What does that mean? You're going to fight. There's something to be said about the Christian life. It's just a life of fighting, struggle. You fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil all the time. It's like when you wake up and you look at yourself in the mirror and you start shaving yourself, you ask yourself, what are you up to today? You're fighting against him, yourself. So our enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all are trying to cause us to become shipwrecks on the jagged rocks of life. Fight. Fight. Fight yourself. Fight the devil. And you fight the world, the culture, the system that's pulling you away. And thankfully, the battle we can win, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Last thing, hold. The word here, uh, if you find in verse number 19, again, uh, this, this, this word here, holding, carries the idea, of, it's a purpose act. You're holding. You're not letting go. <laughs> My wife and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, that there's a certain amount of asceticism in the Christian life. What does that mean? You just do it because you have to do it. Duty. Nothing wrong with that. However, there's a ditch on that if it's just duty. But there are times where I come to church where I don't want to be here. <laughs> there are times, and there's a small amount of times, where I would wake up on a Monday morning or Sunday morning and say, I don't want to preach. I don't want to encourage anyone. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear anybody's problems. I've got enough problems myself. Are you all here? You've been hit with fiery darts all week, you know, and you're like, done. Okay. Now, being honest, it happens, and it happens to you too. But we come, and we encourage, and we listen, and we pray. And we love. It's our duty. We just do it. It's a military term. You just do it. There's a certain amount of that that's necessary in Christian life. Listen, if I came to church when I felt like coming to church, I'd be here 50% of the time. Maybe, maybe 75 or 80%. I do love coming to church, but there are some times where I don't. If I, listen, if I read my Bible every time I felt like reading my Bible, it'd never get read. Uh, and I feel like I'm all by myself up here on that one. Right? <laughs> If I, if I prayed, if I prayed every time I felt like praying, I'd never pray. Are you all here? There's a certain amount of, you just do it. And by doing it, you'll find out it's okay. A, a, a certain asceticism. You're just going to do it, you do it, you do it, you do it. Now, holding faith carries that idea that it's purposed. Timothy, hold. Hold. Hold your faith. Holding on to what the Bible says. Don't let it go. Don't compromise. Don't let, allow something in your life. Don't change. Don't let go. Stay with it. Very simple instructions to avoid shipwreck. Very simple. Say, Pastor, it won't happen to me. My dad, and uh, I'm going to be seeing him. His dementia is getting worse, but I'm going to be able to see him uh, Tuesday morning. I haven't seen him for a, quite a while. I think it's over a year. And... Uh, I'll see my mom, my dad. My dad, if he took his shirt off, he has 
multiple layers of scars all through his stomach. His hand, he's lost, he's got two fingers, three fingers that are gone. Two fingers that are gone. We used to go to the beach and he would take his shirt off and we'd see that scar. I'm like, wow, what is that? He says, it's there because I said it won't happen to me. Back in the 50s, apparently, they had this craze in Cape May County, New Jersey, where these boys were taking match heads and stuffing them into pipe bombs and lighting them on fire. My father was a lost uh, man in a false religion. Grew up that you just do works to go to heaven. Well, he's there stuffing, bomb, stuffing this pipe bomb that he found in the barn. And somehow, he don't know how, he felt a, felt a flash, a burning sensation in his hand. And he looked down and his stomach was, and his entrails were laying out. He was laying back. He had a piece of scrap metal, went up and lodged in his throat. He had another one that lodged in his stomach, the large one that would have gone into his heart. And he laid there, bleeding out. He made it to the steps. He laid down. And he started to quote the 23rd Psalm. Lost, going to hell. He spent six months in the hospital. They skin grafted everything back together. They sent him home, really, with a large possibility that it would be a large infection and he would eventually die. He married my mother, 24 years of age. They later went to, on their honeymoon, to make fun of the Holy Rollers. They didn't know they were going to a Baptist tent revival. And he got saved on the second night. Second night got saved, accepted Christ as Savior. Every night he says the first night, I just, he said, I didn't know what was happening. He said, my, my knuckles were white. I was holding on. He said, he ran that aisle that, that second night. Got saved, got on fire for God. Long story. Wonderful, wonderful story. Now, he would say to us, never say, it can't happen to me. And I'll just say that again, repeating this possibility as a shipwreck possibility. Never say it can't happen to you, ladies and gentlemen. It can. You could be out of truth. You could be out of the will of God. You could be... A, you can be embracing all kinds of crazy stuff. Salvation is intact. But your testimony, your influence, and your, your life can come under an intense wreck. And then opening yourself up to Satan having his will and way. What a horrible way to go. What a warning for us this morning.